0: Welcome to the second episode of The Investigation. I'm Kira Phillips, and thank you for being here with us once again. We are going to continue to take you behind the scenes with our ABC News Task Force as we continue to uncover and dive into all the details of the Mueller investigation. Of course, here with me uh, once again, we're Partners in Crime, Head of the Task Force, Chris Vlasto.
1: Hey, Kira. It was a great first show we had last week with John Dowd, who kind of told all and we got a lot of headlines all over the country, And we're going to have Democrats, we're going to have Republicans, which kind of leads us, though, to our second guest, who you know, both of us have known for a long time. And when I knew him, he was the the Clinton uh, hatchet man who now is <laughs> is working for Michael Cohen,
0: former White House special counsel. And, as you mentioned, legal advisor to Michael Cohen. He's the founder of the strategic communications firm Trident DMD. Lanny Davis.
2: I only can say to Chris Flasto that if I was a hatchet man, I never used a hatchet against him.
0: Didn't you save his? I job? I was tempted though. That's that's a story I heard is that well, you saved his job. Is I, that true? I would say
2: I came to his defense when he deserved to be defended. He and, did, and you know, though,
1: though, Lanny, I did say in the other show, I, I said the difference of, you know, covering twenty years ago when we uh, uh, during the Clinton administration and now, even though this story is on steroids I think. I think the Trump story is significantly bigger. I thought I thought Clinton was a big story, a big story of my lifetime. This is I think even a bigger story. But the difference was Clinton had people do his work. People like you. President Clinton didn't do it himself.
2: Donald Trump does it himself and that kind of makes this a big difference. Don't you agree? Or Well, they say a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. You could say that about a president. And a lot of his mistakes using his Twitter account and lots of other things he does uh, reflects what I think is basically a poor judgment history that Michael Cohen has told me after 10 years of working for him, it would be kind to say that he has poor judgment. He has no judgment in the years that Michael worked for him. It's quite amazing some of his personal experiences that he's described to me.
0: I'm just curious. You went right to Michael Cohen. Okay, you, you're like King Liberal, Mr. Democrat, and you're representing Michael Cohen. Explain to me why.
2: Well, first of all, I could use the usual reason that attorneys represent people that aren't always good people. That is what we do as a profession. But that isn't the reason I decided to work for Michael Cohen. It took a while for him to persuade me that he had made a genuine turn in his life after 10 years of shoveling, you know what, behind Donald Trump in an amoral, if not immoral environment with a man without a moral compass, I did not want to represent someone who had defended him all these years on all of those dirty deeds. But that expression, dirty deeds, is the expression that Michael used with me when he said, I am now frightened for my family and my country. It's one thing to do this over a 10-year time period that I'm ashamed of because he was in the private sector. But now he's president and he scares me. Would you help me get the truth out? And it took me a while to be convinced that he was sincere And once I was convinced, I realized I was not just doing it to help a client, Michael Cohen.
0: It's hard for me to imagine Michael Cohen being frightened. I mean, I'll be really blunt here. I've known him for a really long time. He's a hard ass, and he's mean, and he's tough. Threatened me? Yes. He, He
2: threatened me more than
1: you would threaten me.
2: I don't blame anyone for being skeptical because I've had many reporters with bad experiences when Michael Cohen was yelling at them on behalf of Donald Trump. I had bad experiences seeing Michael Cohen on television and feeling that way.
0: He's yelled at me. He's yelled at Chris Blasto.
2: I am convinced, and it took me several weeks of many, many, many hours of conversations to be convinced that he is a man transformed, he's a different Michael Cohen than you remember, he's got the burden of proof to prove that. When you
0: say he fears the president, I mean, is he afraid the president's going to have him, you know, taken out or something? I well, mean, you make it sound like this is some sort of well, fatal threat.
2: Well, first of all, there is something that I'm about to say about his tweets uh, in in attacking Michael Cohen. So let's get to that, and then I'll tell you about my word, fear, because I fear Donald Trump because he has a finger this close to the button and he has sold us out. As far as I'm concerned, Helsinki is dispositive proof that he sold us out to Putin and the Russians. He's compromised us with our allies. His judgment is so poor that I don't know what he's going to do when he goes to North Korea. He is literally a man without judgment and he's president of the United States. He scares the, you know what out of me. And so does he scare Michael Cohen? But beyond that, here's the president of the United States the top official in law enforcement and everything else in the United States, using Twitter to call a person who is cooperating with prosecutors a rat. The word rat has a meaning in prison. What does it mean? It it means snitch. It means means your life is in danger. It means that if the President of the United States on Twitter calls somebody going to prison for cooperating with the government a rat, that is so reckless and so dangerous, that in and of itself is an abuse of power that could lead to his ouster, much less having Giuliani, his lawyer, call out his father-in-law and his wife and says that his father-in-law might be connected on national television to organized crime. Michael Cohen and President Trump have rolled in the same circles, Lanny. So I absolutely saw Michael Cohen that way for many, many years, and it was quite negative, and got dirty and shoveled, you know what, behind Trump all the time, until I believe, and now I believe him, that he underwent a transformation and decided to tell the truth. And when the issue of a pardon came up, he has asked me, and I'll repeat here, he wouldn't take a pardon if Trump pleaded with him to take it. Why? Because it would be dirty. Why? Because the man giving the pardon is dirty. So I believe there's a transformation when he stood up and pled guilty. He said to the court, I did dirty deeds. I'm ashamed of myself. I want to make up for it by telling the truth, and I'm going to prison. Do, do you think the the
1: prosecutors up in Southern District of New York were too harsh on Michael Cohen? I mean, so
2: look, I'm a good enough lawyer with a client that I'm not criticizing even a little bit the prosecutors in New York. Michael is now cooperating the best he can to persuade them uh, that he's not as bad as they thought he was. But I can say this with uh, respect for the prosecutors. Number one, give I'll give you one fact of a crime that he pled to and that he's serving time on. He took out a loan as part of the hush money that Donald Trump directed him to pay, that's in on the public record that the prosecutors put into the sentencing memo. Donald Trump directed him to pay hush money to Stormy Daniels so the story wouldn't come out right after the Access Hollywood, right before the election, because he feared the political consequences. That's called a crime. And when he did that, he used his own home equity line for $500,000 as money to pay Stormy Daniels. Why didn't he use Trump money or Trump organization money? Because they were covering it up. They didn't want it traceable. So he borrowed out of his own equity line. Yet he was charged with making a false statement. We're not disputing that somewhere on the financial application. Yet that has been charged as a crime. Right. And the fact and that's that it was a, home- crime that a,
1: a, a crime that a lot of people.
2: Well, let's just say that it. Uh, it's not a process. Normally, people aren't prosecuted. For goodness sakes, the bank is the last one that would complain if they're covered 10 to 1. But the, ju- the judgment by the prosecutors, which we do not question, was that it was a crime to have a false statement elsewhere on the financial application. And uh, the time that he is serving, he is serving and he has cooperated and he has told the prosecutors, I'll try to give you more information. Why would
0: he do that for Donald Trump?
2: Well, first of all, when he finally pled guilty, he wasn't for Donald Trump. That's after he decided to tell the truth about Trump. Why did he spend 10 years as the Shovel Brigade doing all these, what he described as. Why would he take dirty... out a
0: home equity loan? Why would. Oh, why
2: this? He did it for Donald Trump because he was doing what he did for Donald Trump all through the years. He was the, the, the shovel. You've seen a circus and you see what people behind the elephants do. But, That's what he was doing for Donald Trump. But why would he
0: do that? Why would he do that for Donald Trump? Trump it, asked it was him like, to.
2: Trump asked him not only to break the law, but to cover it up by coming from his own personal money and then get repaid by the company as if it was a legal fee, which which it wasn't, which everybody knew it wasn't. He did it because in those days, before he's what I regard to be a transformed um, Michael Cohen, whatever Mr. Trump wanted, I'm here to clean up after him.
1: do you think, I mean, Mueller report's going to come out maybe in a, Couple of weeks or a few weeks, and campaign finance. This campaign finance violation is not going to be part of the Mueller report. But do you think it's an impeachable offense? No doubt, it's a felony.
2: But do you, are, are not all felonies are impeachable? Right? I don't know what felony isn't impeachable. But if you're corrupting an American election, which is what hush money right before the election is—that you're hushing up something that could affect the election. 70,000 votes in three states out of 15 million elected Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton, who I have to add won by more than 3 million popular votes. Would those 70,000 votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin have been changed out of 15 million, do the, do the math, if they had known about the Stormy Daniels hush money payment? Right. Does
0: Michael Cohen have anything that could lead to criminal charges?
2: Does he have anything on Mr. Trump? Yes, that could lead to criminal charges. So I can't answer that question except to say evasively that he went to uh, work with and cooperate with Mr. Mueller for seven days and 70 hours. And Mr. Mueller's words were, he gave us evidence that go to the core issues of our investigation. Certainly his evidence on Mr. Trump directing him to pay hush money was evidence of a felony that Mr. Trump is guilty of. How much don't we know? We know kind of what Michael Cohen has said in the public record, but how much don't we know? Well, we don't know a lot. If it's 70 hours and seven days with Mr. Mueller, we know nothing about that other than what Mr. Mueller said, which is that it was irrelevant, important, or significant, and it went to the core issues of the Mueller investigation. That's all we know. So,
0: does he have anything that could bring down this president?
2: I just can't answer that or even guess. I know that if he ever has a chance to testify publicly, he won't be uh, able to address any of the issues that Mr. Mueller is investigating. And a lot of people will be disappointed by that. But what he will talk about is exactly what we were talking about earlier is what did you do for Mr. Trump during those 10 years and why? And what caused you to change and tell the truth and refuse to accept a pardon and become transformed? He needs to tell his personal story to the American people. And when he does, what we all think we know about Donald Trump and all of the negative reactions that many of us have to Donald Trump, you're going to hear in personal frontline experiences of memories and incidents and conduct and comments that Donald Trump said, over that 10-year time period, behind closed door, that to me, when I first heard Michael tell me all this, even as much as I knew about Trump that was negative, was chilling. Do you think the Trump people have played this smartly
1: in the sense of that there's a feeling that we already know what's going to come? As a strategic, there's a lot of people, like John Carl has reported on the air that he thinks this Mueller report may be anticlimactic. And he's saying that only because we know a lot. And we're now accepting things as par for the course of this presidency.
2: Do you, do you know what I'm saying, Lenny? Well, I think there is a preemptive strategy that at times I've seen Giuliani try and he, as usual, messed it up uh, by getting bad news out himself in order to numb everyone. And I've seen a little of that come out of the uh, Trump White House. I think the media nowadays kind of sets up the bar that's impossible to meet. And if there isn't a smoking gun, that means Trump wins. Or I, They are high-fiving at the White House because his popularity went up to 44 percent from 37 percent, the bump that happens after an inauguration and the government shutdown. If I ever had the experience in the Clinton White House of high-fiving that we were at 40 percent, this man has 60% of the country who is as afraid of him and considers him as reckless as I do. So whatever happens in the report, I'm sure the Trump uh, White House and I think the media will do the same thing. Oh, well, it wasn't a smoking gun and it's a
1: victory. John Dowd said on our premier podcast that he believes that, that it won't be made public, that according to the laws, the guidelines, it, he'll just give it to Bill Barr.
2: And that's it. Well, first of all, I have a great deal of respect for Mr. Dowd. Uh, He probably... uh is a great loss. Said he was the one sound voice of advice to Mr. Trump, and he's no longer there. Uh, sounds like wishful thinking to me. This is all about politics. Uh, this man can't get above the low 40s in job approval rating with one of the greatest economies we've had in years. But they're high fiving when he gets to 43%. So I am saying Mr. Dow is engaging in wishful thinking. If the only standard is a felony, And you can't prosecute a president. We would prosecute this president for what he did on paying hush money, corrupting an American election, and he doesn't even defend that. Mr. Dow is right. But I think that the American people are wiser than a narrow view by an excellent lawyer like Mr. Dow.
0: Nancy Pelosi tweeted that she believes Putin has something on on Trump. Do you agree?
2: I uh, infer it, which means that I agree from a reasonable inference. I can't prove it. Uh, But- Yes, there's no other explanation to me why he took the notes of a translator, never in American history. Has that ever happened? Well, he, well, wait, let me play the other side. He, he had been burnt
1: his first calls as president by someone leaked out his conversations with the Australian President, the Prime Minister. You got it. he could be a bit paranoid. He you
2: know, I mean, he he there could be men on the moon. I, 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 there could be Martians under my bed. The fact is, <laughs> His conduct with Putin, secretive, taking phone calls, not uh, enforcing sanctions, having his campaign officials constantly meeting with Russia, and then lying about, not talking about Russia, but let me put it this way. Mr. Trump has never had a policy of telling the truth to the American people. And what he's done with Mr. Putin and all the contacts and all the lies, you have to ask yourself, why? But uh, there is one other point to be made about the standard of this uh, Mueller report. Uh, I go back to King Henry II. King Henry II was very angry with the Archbishop of Canterbury. But he was too smart to tell his knights, go kill the Archbishop of Canterbury. So what he said was, would no one rid me of this grievous priest? And about 10 minutes later, the Archbishop of Canterbury was dead. If you were on a jury, would you convict... King Henry II, of being part of a conspiracy to murder. Mr. Trump never ordered anyone or never did anyone. I didn't include, I didn't include, I didn't include. He just gave out plenty of signals to his people to let's lighten up on the campaign plank. Let's not enforce sanctions. Let's promise we won't. Why did Mr. Flynn plead guilty? Why did he lie? Why did everybody lie? Mr. Trump is smart enough to say, well, no one rid me of that grievous priest." I never thought this show was going to get so intellectual so quickly.
0: I'm going to be going back into it's my that uh, Yale
2: education of yours, uh, Lanny. <laughs> there's another there's an easier way to explain why Mr. Trump can be inferred as being compromised by the Russians. You don't have direct evidence of it, but as uh, I think Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein agreed, circumstantial evidence is the following. You go to bed at night and there's no snow on the ground. You wake up in the morning, and there's snow on the ground. Would a jury convict that it snowed? You didn't see it snow. This is the way Donald Trump has operated, as Michael Cohn will explain, through the years. He uses code words, he winks and he nods, and people do what he wants. He doesn't say, go kill the Archbishop of Canterbury. He says, well, no one rid me of this grievous priest. And that's why Mr. Dowd's standard of direct or, as I heard recently, there's no direct evidence of collusion. No, there's no direct evidence that he even knew the word collusion, I doubt, that Donald Trump used the word collusion. But did everybody act, talk, and walk with more Russians meeting, talking, involved with, including in the Oval Office, where Mr. Trump denounced James Comey and said he was a wacko to the top spy from Russia in the United States? There's just so much Russian involvement. Is that all a coincidence? I think that there's an inference to be drawn that Mr. Trump, including trying to hide what he actually says to Putin. But do you think the Democrats. That there's an inference that he's compromised. Do you
1: think all the congressional. You You and I did a lot of congressional investigations. It bogs down a presidency. The American people worked to Bill Clinton's favor 20 years ago, investi- over investigating. So you're
0: looking at overreach. You know,
1: that this could blow up
2: in the Democrats' face.
0: Danger of overreach on behalf of yeah. the Dems.
2: The fact is you're right, we could overreach and we have a tendency just like the Republicans to follow the most extreme voices in our base. And there is a danger that we will do that. The The insurance policy that that won't hurt us and that we will still prevail in 2020 is we're running against somebody who is mentally unbalanced and the American people fear. And I'm not using those words lightly. I believe 55 to 60% of the American people will never vote for Donald Trump under any circumstances I believe the issue in 2020, which Michael Cohen can speak to better than anyone, is the man lacks character. He speaks in bigoted words in private, which Michael Cohen will tell you. He treats people badly. He has no moral character in defrauding people in his businesses and going bankrupt and taking cash out and putting people out of work. He lacks the moral compass that we expect in our presidents. That is a lot more powerful That will occur at the polls than in an impeachment proceeding or in congressional investigations.
1: I do have to, while you're here, Michael Cohen told many a reporter, uh, talking to him about Donald Trump, even about the Stormy Daniels stuff. He'd swear on his children that it wasn't true. So why should we believe him now? I mean, I know you said before, but he's sworn up and down. you got to trust me.
2: Trust me. I didn't. I did this on my own. Well, first of you all, know? it's a fair question. This is a moment of history. Let's write down the date and the time. I've said to Chris Blasto that he asked me a fair question. This <laughs> is like an historical. <laughs> Thank you, Lanny. No, I, I'm a great fan of Chris. It is a fair question, Chris. And as I said to Michael Cohen, it took me a while to be persuaded. You have a heavy burden of proof. People are going to start out saying, after all you did, you've admitted to lying. Uh, you're going to prison for admitting to lying to Congress. Why should we believe you? and I'm good enough in the business that I'm in, which is to try to get facts out and try to restore people's reputations, that Michael, know he starts from a deep hole. And the hole is the hole of what he did for Trump for 10 years. There are a couple of things that he'll say that he heard Donald Trump say behind closed doors about black people, that people, even his supporters, will say, yep, that's Trump. So in a few weeks, Michael Cohen is gonna to go to jail.
1: What's his head right now? We're, we're well, thanks fear. for
2: asking. He's, he's, uh, his family, he's a great wife, two great children. And if his name uh, were not associated with Donald Trump, I do not believe he would have been the subject to this massive raid. And I don't believe that he'd be uh, at least doing the time that he's doing. But uh, his uh, distress is great. Uh, we've set up a, a GoFundMe site. He hasn't worked for well over a year. He's certainly worried about a future ability to earn a livelihood. And his uh, two kids, one out of college, one out of uh, uh, grad school, are uh, and his wife are in great distress that their dad's going away for maybe as long as three years.
0: Is he ready for jail? Can he survive
2: jail, Lanny? He'll uh, survive. He's a survivor, and he's a... Uh, not happy when the President of the United States launches uh, attacks on his wife, on his father-in-law, and then calls him a rat, which is a label that in prison can be a dangerous label, so that uh, is to be taken seriously. But I do think uh, he has uh, been transformed, that's my opinion, took me a while to come to that opinion. And I'm going to leave it to everybody, including both of you, to decide after you've heard him uh, when he speaks whether he should be believed
1: thank you very much, Lanny. Thank you.
2: It's hard to believe
1: I've known Lanny Davis for 25 years, but, you know, he he does have a lot of stories to tell.
0: We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Investigation. I'm Kira Phillips, uh, bringing in now uh, Matt Mosk and John Santucci, two of our best reporters, of course, within the task force. We had to cut Chris Vlasto loose. Apparently, he's gone to some underground bunker to meet with a secret source.
3: That sounds like fun. Can we go there?
4: Yeah, he's in a parking garage somewhere with his deep throat source.
0: <laughs> oh, All right, well, that'll be the next episode. Mm. So what did you guys think about the interview with Lenny Davis?
4: I thought he was uh, fascinating and a really interesting contrast to the previous week with John Dowd. From John Dowd, you heard the president's point of view. From Lanny, you really heard... The other side of the story
3: when you and chris were talking about who michael cohen is and lanny's saying he's changed he's better and you two were saying you've both been threatened can i just say michael cohen told me he would throw me head first out of the 26th floor of trump tower
0: john i, I wouldn't throw you i might push you but i you know i i, I
3: no, 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 no i was told i'd be <laughs> flung head first
0: Look, we've all been on the back end of phone calls and conversations with Michael Cohen. I mean, he he yells and he screams and he gets really mad. And, you know, I I like to say I've had uncomfortably comfortable debates and conversations with Michael Cohen. But Lenny Davis is convinced he's had a spiritual awakening. He is a different person. He is no longer uh, a filthy liar. He says he's come clean. I mean, what's interesting about this transformation and the
4: dispute about whether there was one is that's reflected in the sentencing memos from the special counsel and then from the Southern District of New York. Here's one thing the Southern District of New York said about Michael Cohen. Any suggestion by Cohen that his meetings with law enforcement reflect a selfless and unprompted about
3: face are overstated. I agree with that. I wasn't in the room, but I would just say I completely believe that.
0: But if you listen to Lanny Davis, mm-hmm. he said that Michael Cohen is going to give America a peek behind Donald Trump's boardroom door, and it's, quote, chilling. That's the first time we've heard that, right, Kira? Sure is.
3: Well, and what's interesting about that is that, remember, the way that Trump Tower was designed— Michael Cohen's office was one of the closest to Donald Trump, closer than any of his adult children. His was just a couple feet away. The kids were all one floor below him. So to know the way that Donald Trump operates when he's just asking for something, pulling people in, it is believable that Michael would have seen a lot over more than a decade of being his personal lawyer. So I do think he'll give important insight. I would just say knowing Michael and how he's very capable and likes to stretch the truth, it'll be interesting as to how overdramatic and how overplaying he's gonna be when he's starting to retell these events. But
0: you bring up a good point because even before Trump was president, and I wanted to talk to Donald Trump, or I wanted to get an interview with Donald Trump, I had to go through Michael Cohen. I wasn't going through some PR person or some other type of representative. I had to go through Michael Cohen. You, he you was, never
3: spoke to John Miller, the Donald Trump publicist that sounded awfully a lot like him? You never spoke to that guy? Never. Oh, lucky you.
0: What I thought
4: was helpful in talking to Lanny was... We didn't really know. We've heard that Michael Cohen is going to testify on the Hill and the next phase of this whole saga are going to be these show hearings on the Hill. And Michael Cohen will be a star of that. We didn't know whether Michael was going to talk about the special and counsel investigation. It sounds like he's not. What he's going to talk about is what really Happen behind closed doors in Trump
3: Tower. Well, and I think that's going to be a huge disappointment to everybody on Capitol Hill, right? Because you have all these members of Congress hoping, praying, wishing that somebody will give them some insight into what Bob Mueller has been up to. It's been going on almost two years. Witnesses have not been able to go before these committees for this exact reason that Mueller is still looking into them. And they were hoping that Michael, since... His deal's done, he's heading off to jail. Would be able to give them that insight. I mean, based on Lanny's interview, Kira, they are going to be extremely disappointed in this presentation.
0: Right, because Lanny was saying it, it, Michael's going to reveal a lot about President Trump's moral compass, but he didn't say, wait till you hear what Michael has to say about collusion. Wait. Well, and
4: Lanny is an expert at navigating these crisis situations, right. and I think what he's probably telling us is. It's too early for Michael Cohen to talk about the Mueller investigation, and so he's not going to do it.
0: I think this is a perfect time to bring in our Chief Justice Correspondent, Pierre Thomas. Welcome to the podcast, Pierre.
4: Good to be
5: here.
0: <laughs> you, ready, you ready to have a very transparent debate here?
5: You know, you're making me nervous, but let's go.
0: (laughs) We make Pierre nervous? you know.
4: Nobody knows what's coming next better than Pierre. And so, Pierre, tell us what's next. Well, I mean, I guess we could use that phrase, and
5: so it begins. Uh, We have the new Attorney General who was once Attorney General, William Barr, now in place at the Justice Department. And there are some huge things on the table. Uh, that's coming for dinner, if you will, the Mueller report. What's he going to say about it? Is he going to send it over to Congress? How much of it is he going to release to the public? That is staring him in the face almost day one. And uh, I think it's fair to say, based on the comment from the acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker a few weeks ago, that report could come in any time, days if not weeks.
4: Pierre, you think there may have been some clues in a court hearing that took place uh, a week or two ago. Tell us what you read off of the transcript of that hearing. Uh, Last week we had a document release uh,
5: involving a closed hearing that was between Manafort's attorneys, uh, the special counsel's office, and the judge overseeing the case. And the special counsel was talking freely in what was a closed hearing in a way that we never see them talk in open court. And he said that Manafort's relationship and contact by uh, with a guy named Konstantin Kalimnik, who is suspected of being a Russian intelligence officer, Andrew Weissman, the, the principal deputy for Mueller said that, quote, those contacts and why they were having them and what they were talking about, quote, go to the heart of the special counsel investigation. I don't know if you, you that's just very dramatic language that we had never heard before, uh, and Uh, as you read into the document deeper, there was something else that was in there that a lot of people haven't noticed. And we're going to talk about it right now for listeners who probably have not heard this before. He also said that whatever they were discussing Mm -hmm. was so critical and whatever that Manafort was lying about was so critical that they believed that he thought it could impact his potential of getting a pardon. The word pardon was dropped in the document. And again, we had never heard
4: special counsel utter that word pardon in relation to Manafort before. But Pierre, this is like super painful for all of us, I think, right? Because the the transcript is filled with redactions. So all the hints and clues that are offered there are not quite fulfilled. Are we going to be able to learn more about what they were talking about, do you think? Well, I've been pressing some sources Why do you keep
5: redacting all this information? And the only thing I can get from someone who is knowledgeable is that we black out the information that's considered ongoing.
2: Hmm.
5: Ongoing. So this notion of Manafort, again, think about it. They're in a cigar room (laughs) not far from Trump
3: Tower. Three Three blocks away.
4: Three blocks away. John, it's, you want to tell us about the cigar room? Yeah,
3: I mean, I I, I know it. I mean, it's, it's a... Oh you a it's, smoker? It's, I didn't know uh, you were a smoker. Uh, you know, who did you
0: smoke cigars
3: with? I'm not telling you. But it's, it's a very interesting place, the Grand Havana Room. So this is a club located on the top floor of 666 Fifth Avenue. The building is owned by the Kushner family. They've owned it for the last several years. They've had some debts on it. They've been trying to pay it off. They've straightened that out. Can anybody go to this cigar room? It's a private club. Uh, The membership is- Are there
0: security cameras?
3: Uh, There is, so we need to go and find those. Yes, we do. But what's interesting about this club, just some of the members that belong to it, right? So you have the two Trump adult children. They are members. Rudy Giuliani's a member. But then it gets a little weird- Alec Baldwin's a member. Uh, Al Sharpton is a member. It's a very unique juxtaposition of New Yorkers uh, that belong to this club. And Manafort was there many times throughout the campaign. He would take meetings there. But, Pierre, what was interesting to me... Um, in this long filing from the special counsel, and we got to see what happened in court a couple weeks ago, is that this meeting at the Grand Havana Room was in August of 2016. Everything that we had originally heard is that the context with Klimanek, who they refer to as KK, uh, were earlier in the year. Let's just take a step back. It's the
5: campaign chairman of the Republican nominee, the deputy chairman. And the government is saying they're meeting with a suspected Russian intelligence officer. It's insane. And the government has said, on the record, that polling data was shared with Kalemnik. Now, it's always fascinating to me what they would withhold. We still don't know what the polling data
3: is. Well, but that's what I was going to say, too, because we have to remember... This campaign was not sophisticated earlier on. I mean, we had a conversation, Pierre, you and I, when we thought it was the spring, Kira. You know, they They didn't even think they
0: were going to win. No,
3: Kira, they didn't have a polling operation. They were relying on the Republican National Committee. They had one person, Tony Fabrizio, who was doing like big national polling. But let's just be honest, national polling, when you're going state by state by state, It really doesn't mean a damn thing. You need to know what's happening in the states that are actually going to be going to the ballot boxes for primaries.
4: I I thought it was interesting when they were talking about this cigar room meeting that they noted how covertly they entered and exited the meeting, that uh, the three of them all left through separate exits. That doesn't seem like something
3: the
0: Mueller team would know by
3: accident. Well, so security it, camera footage, like here is point. Right? I mean, the, the, there are a lot Really,
0: of I'd love to see the the, the camera video.
3: But Pierre, here, here's my big question on this. and I think a lot of people, if Paul Manafort is often doing, honestly, these things to benefit himself, right? He had money owed to him to a lot of foreign countries. God knows he owed money himself to others uh, from Ukraine and other work he had done. Could he have been doing this without Donald Trump or the Trump family knowing anything about it? Because that's what it seems like to me. You're saying could
4: this have nothing to do with campaign collusion?
5: Look, that's a very fair point. And I think –
3: And maybe – just the one other thought I would throw out there. Maybe when we saw Rudy Giuliani and Kellyanne Conway in the last couple months saying, well, look – I didn't collude, and I don't believe Donald Trump colluded, but if other people on the campaign were often doing this, you know, who knows? Maybe that was them getting ahead of this narrative now that we're seeing in this filing. Well, this, this is a, an important moment to make this point. In not a single case
5: that Bob Mueller has brought, has he implied or implicated the president of the United States with doing any single crime? That's fact. We can look at the 34 indictments and charges, Mm -hmm. and there's never any allegation that the President of the United States has done anything wrong in terms of the cases that Bob Mueller has brought. You're certainly right that in terms of the Manafort case and the filing, there is no implication or indication that the President of the United States, then candidate Donald Trump, knew that this was happening. I'll share with you something that a source told me that I have to be careful about. But here we go. It's a podcast. I'll give it up. What are you trying to, to say, Pierre. Pierre? All right, Pierre, you know. bring it on.
3: Pierre's
0: going to make the headline right here. <laughs> you know, it's that,
5: think about this strictly from the Russian point of view. It's established that a number of people in Trump's orbit are having all these different contacts with the Russians. So at minimum, the Russians are looking at that saying, hmm, this group of people seem not to be seeing us as enemies, but people that they can do business with. Let's see if we can influence them to our advantage. And and I can tell you from the counterintelligence community that the Russians were gaining. It was win-win for them the moment that they had contact with Trump organization officials and it was not reported back to the FBI so that the FBI could be proactive in investigating it.
4: I, I think the big hanging question from our first podcast is John Dowd's assertion that there may not be any report. And all the stuff we're talking about, we may never know the answer to. I am curious, Pierre, whether you think that's...
0: Yeah, he used the D word, declination. Well,
4: here's the thing. Every source I've talked to
5: says the following, that there's going to be a an extraordinary fight over getting that report sent to Congress in a way that they're satisfied with. The Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee, Democrats in the House are not going to be satisfied with some pared down, you know, generic report where they don't see all the information because many of them are making a case privately that although Bob Mueller might not find crimes, Mm -hmm. what is an impeachable offense or what is considered something that they would care about is a completely different matter.
3: They just sort of want a roadmap of how to move forward here in Capitol Hill. I mean, you, you, you've been up there, Kira. I mean, the investigations that they're launching, the different ways they're going, I mean, they are looking at anything.
0: 60-plus subpoenas. Yeah. Well, and also, too, I asked Elijah Cummings with regard to Michael Cohen. You know, if is this the guy that can tell you whether or not there was collusion? And he said, I don't, I don't know, but I, all I want is, is the truth. So as we get ready for Michael Cohen and the fact that he's going to testify, what does he really know? Does he have something that can implicate the president? Could there be criminal charges? And if so, could that lead to impeachment? Yeah,
3: that's but, what everybody wants to know. Okay, and that, that's true. But based on Lanny's interview with you and Chris— It doesn't sound like Michael's legally able to provide that roadmap if he goes and testifies before he heads off to prison.
4: You think we'll have an answer to this by next week's
0: podcast? I hope so, but I highly doubt it. So, Pierre, question for you with regard to the Mueller investigation. To this point, what is the biggest revelation for you or the biggest thing that you have learned thus far?
5: You know, that's a great question. I still would say, what is his penultimate what is his assessment of all the facts that have been gathered and the fact that even in the indictments that we've seen there's been so much redacted information that go quote to the heart of the investigation. I'm quite frankly tired of that. I want to know what is the bottom line? What is the information that's been withheld from all of us in terms of the most critical things that would help Bob Mueller and the team understand what did take place and what did not.
4: I think a lot of people share your frustration about that that maybe it's time for this to all move into the public into public view. Yeah, and we look, we're advocates for the
5: First Amendment and we want to know all the facts. but you know I, I spoke to a former very senior Justice Department official recently. Uh, this person came to Barr's hearing uh, in support. and he said, you know, on the one hand, we had Ken Starr's investigation and there were a lot of leaks and we kind of knew the narrative before the report came out. And on this hand, we don't know the bottom line of the core of what Mueller is finding. We don't know. And he said, I think the, the the best example might be somewhere in the middle. He doesn't think that this much of a black hole about the core of what Mueller's findings are is good for anyone. He doesn't think it's good for the president. He doesn't think it's good for the American public, that we should know more about the bottom line of where Mueller is going with this investigation.
0: I think that's a great place uh, to wrap up Pierre. So glad that you could be with us for this episode. And thanks for joining us for the second episode of The Investigation. Be sure to hit subscribe, leave us a rating and a review so that other folks can find us. And it's also great feedback for us. And thanks to our producers behind the scenes here, Trevor Hastings, Caitlin Fulmer, Emily Rachowski, and for my colleagues, Chris Flasto, Matt Moss, John Santucci. We will see you next Tuesday on The Investigation.